G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation to Visionathon today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. Now this is such an important issue that you know it's the only place in the Bible where God comes straight out and says to a person, try me, just try me, do it. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome to another episode of Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, we have more from our series, Fully Devoted. It's about what being a fully devoted Christ follower means. Pastor Jeff has a message for us about true generosity, looking at examples from the book of Genesis. We know what a blind spot is in our cars, but we'll also hear about blind spots in our lives, which can come at us unexpectedly to stop us from living life to the fullest, as God intends. So let's join Pastor Jeff now to hear what he has to say. How many of you know what I mean when I refer to a person having a blind spot? Okay, if you're an alcoholic or you have been, you know there's a season of your life that you've had a blind spot. That is, you can't see that you're an alcoholic no matter how many times people tell you. Despite the fact that you're drinking about 9.30 or 10 a.m. every morning, despite the fact that you're having a few glasses of wine at night, you can't go to sleep until you do, the fact that you drink all day and people try to tell you that is a blind spot. As a matter of fact, we all have them to some degree. Now, let me ask you another question. How many of you know what your blind spot is? Okay, and the reason nobody raised their hands is because if you knew what it was, it wouldn't be a blind spot. It would be a seen spot. Now, did you know that the Bible says that all of us have blind spots and they're varied, but there's one blind spot everybody has, no matter who you are. And it starts all the way back in the book of Genesis. And Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel. Now, stay with me. The book of Genesis is supposed to tell you that you come from God, and because you come from God, you live according to God's way. Now, God's way is represented as early as the fourth chapter of the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, tells you this, that it is assumed that if you truly believe that everything you have comes from God, and that you believe that God is the source of everything in your life, then God says to his people that talk is cheap, And if you really believe what you say you believe, he puts into play long before the Mosaic law, long before the 10 commandments, long before any rule on tithing, long before any of that happens, right from the get-go, the book of Genesis records a story where we're told that if we really believe all those things, then the very first fruits of our lives go to God. And that's a demonstration of what you really believe. So Cain and Abel, 
Abel's out working in the flocks. Cain is tilling the garden. And one day it's time to give the offering to God. Cain gives the leftovers. Abel gives the fat, the first fruits, the good stuff. And the Bible says that God was not pleased with Cain and he was pleased with Abel. Cain found out about it and he gets depressed. And then he gets angry. In his depression, God comes to him and says, why are you you depressed? And it's interesting, God doesn't say, wow, Cain, I never meant to make you sad. Are you depressed? Then do what is right and you'll get over it. Interesting, eh? Do what is right, you won't be sad. And then here's what God says to Cain in verse seven. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. It's interesting that God uses that with Cain because all of us have one area in our lives that's a blind spot that we can't see because it's crouching and then it reaches up and pounces. And you know what that is? Greed. Greed. You, me, all of us. The Bible, because it knows that, goes to great lengths to show us how if we truly want to be followers of Jesus, we've got to change our attitude toward our stuff. Now, this is not a tithing message, so take a deep breath. But it is a message, if we're going to be fully devoted followers, here are the six financial commands that you find in the Bible that teaches you how you should relate to everything you have. Here's the first one. Thou shalt remember who the owner really is. Look at what the Bible says in Psalm 24. It's a verse I've read many times. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Now, let me ask you a question. To whom does the earth belong? How much of the earth belongs to God? All of it. So why does it belong to God? Because he made it. And if you make it, you own it. So God made everything, therefore he owns it. In ministry of 27 years, I have noticed that it's far, far easier for a guy who makes $30,000 to give God 3,000 than it is for a guy who makes 300,000 to give 30,000. And here's the reason. The more wealthy you get and the more you income you generate, the more selfish we tend to be because we think that our wisdom, our entrepreneurship, and our great ability and talent generated this, therefore it is mine. Deuteronomy 8 warns against this. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Now I want us all to say this together because I want it to just get into your DNA. The more I make, the less I believe it belongs to God. The Bible says that this hidden thing that's in all of our lives, this thing called greed, that we say we believe that everything belongs to God and anything we have is a good and perfect gift from him. And yet when he asks for his portion back, we say no. That's called greed. Number one, thou shalt remember who the owner is. Number two, thou shalt not fall into debt. Proverbs chapter 22, verse three says, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. What's the message? You know, there is such a thing as wise and prudent debt. People misunderstand the scripture here. Understand how Proverbs is written. It's allegory, it's metaphor, it's example. Debt in the big picture is a bad thing, but there's such a thing as wise and prudent debt. Mortgage payments and business owners will sometimes borrow in order they put themselves in a position to expand the company and earn more profit. That's good debt. The kind of debt the Bible talks about is the kind of debt that should come with a warning label that says this debt may be hazardous to my physical, spiritual, and emotional health. Why? 
Because anybody who's been in debt, and again, man, I've been in ministry for long enough now that there are some topics on I can speak as an expert. I'm telling you, this is, this is heavy. This is really heavy. Okay, this is what it's like to harry around debt right here. Even your most joyous moments of life can't be fully enjoyed because in the back of your mind, you know you are up to your ears in debt. I can tell you that I have counseled many married couples and the reason, number one reason in my opinion that married couples struggle is debt. Because you bring tension into already tense situation and it's a recipe for disaster. And so sometimes people will get married and they'll immediately go into all this debt to have everything their parents wanted right away instead of downsizing, being wise and prudent. And it's like a ball and chain. And the other thing about debt, folks, is that debt is just, it's just downright unwise. Now, here's the thing about this. Why does God care about me going into debt? I thought about this. Why does God care? What's it up to God that I go into debt and have the things I want? Here's why. When you go up to your ears in debt, you become incapable of being a generous person. You've got nothing to be generous with. You're so strapped because you're living beyond your means that you can't be generous. And your number one calling as a Christ follower is to be a generous person who helps those in need and who lives your life for a purpose greater than yourself, who does not stockpile or hoard, but gives money away that the kingdom of Christ might be expanded. And when you're in debt up to your ears, living high on the hog, it's impossible for you to be generous. So here's the first piece of advice I've got before you walk out of this building. If you're in debt up to your ears, you're gonna be the same way in 20 years if you don't act. It doesn't just go away. It's like a canker sore. It just won't disappear. It will be there the rest of your life until you take action, please. Number three, quickly, thou shalt declare enough. Thou shalt declare enough. You know what a leech is, right? What do they do? They suck the blood. When do they stop? They don't until all the blood's gone. Here's what Proverbs 30 says. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. Beautiful verse of scripture. Now, a fully devoted follower of Jesus, here's what they do. They make two decisions. Number one, they decide that they are not going to build bigger and bigger barns. Jesus told a a parable in Luke chapter 12. It is not wrong to make a lot of money, folks. That is not the point of scripture. It is not wrong. The early church was built on those who were gifted with the gift of making money. There's a story Jesus tells, and he says, there's a guy that was blessed by God. I mean, he just had so much, and just the blessings continue to come in. That's not where the sin was. The wrongfulness was in the reality that he said, I am going to make this decision from now on to stockpile all this, just to hoard it, to build bigger and bigger barns, and I will eat, drink, and be merry and live my life because I know that I'm financially able. That's where God visits him and says this, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. What's the sin there, folks? Not making a lot of money. The sin is hoarding, stockpiling, and not saying everything I have comes from God. I'm going to draw the line right here. That's all I need to live. And everything else I make goes to the greatest passion of my heart, the expansion of the kingdom of God on the earth. That's what a fully devoted follower does. That's what it means to be rich toward God, to draw a line in your life and say, enough, enough here. This is all I need. And everything above and beyond is going to God. Jesus said, I'll know where your passion is. In Matthew chapter six, verse 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'll know what you're really about by where you spend the money I send your way. Now, here's the second thing they do. They declare the Joneses the winner. Do you know the Joneses? A fully devoted follower does not go the way of the leech. 
crying more, more, more. They say, you know what? You win, Joneses. I'm not going to try to keep up with you. That's the way of the world. The way of the Christ follower is this. No, my significance is not on how much I make, but what I do with what I make. My significance or my sense of identity and self-worth is not wrapped up in what I possess, but in who possesses me. And there comes a time in your life, now listen, don't turn me out yet. There comes a time in your life, a Christ follower says, I will no longer seek to raise the level of my consumption. I will declare that Jones is the winner and I will no longer try to keep up with everybody else. And from this day on, if God brings more revenue my way, if God raises my income, I will seek to increase my giving, not my acquiring. Now, there's an interesting verse of scripture. Luke 16 says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. Now stay with me for a moment. Look at this word right here. In some translations, that's uh, translated unfaithful. Because the idea is between a man and a wife and unfaithfulness. (coughs) Unfaithful with much. Now, here's what God is saying. God is a wise investor. So why would he send more money a person's way that he knows he can't trust them with it, that instead of being generous, they're gonna just keep spending that stuff on themselves and have no interest in expanding and building the kingdom of God. So the verse talks about this. If you're not faithful with the little that I've given you, there's no way you're gonna be faithful with much more because the more wealthy you become, the less generous you tend to be. So I don't know how that dynamic works exactly. I just know that God is a wise investor. And if he can't trust you, you say to God, God, you know, when I make more money, I'm going to start tithing. And God says, no, no, you won't. Who are you kidding? You tithe with the little and I'll send more your way. Can I guarantee that? No, no. I'm just saying this passage says that there's no way that God's going to trust you with more if he can't trust you with the little. Four, thou shalt have a financial plan. Do you know the Bible has a financial plan for everybody in the room? You know what it is? 10, 10, 80. Let's talk about the first 10 first. I want you to notice, I want you to notice that uh, Cain's countenance falls. He gets depressed. He's depressed because he knows there's a division between him and God because he hasn't done the right thing. Now, what's interesting is God comes to him and says, just do well, man, and your countenance will be raised. Do the right thing, man. You'll feel better. There is a connection all through the Bible. Now, listen, this is the end of the message. I, I'm never, there's no way I'm gonna get to all six, so I'm just gonna have to announce them. So you gotta stay here and let me finish this with point four. This is so important. God does not give his law arbitrarily. And what I mean by that is when God says do this, he does it because he loves you, man. He knows that if you live this way, your countenance is gonna be lifted and the abundant life will be yours. That's in every area of your life, especially your stuff, especially your stuff. There's a connection, it seems, in the Bible between your willingness to do the right thing with your stuff and your ability to fill up and your countenance to be raised and the centralized, the joy and the sense of contentment with doing the right thing. They're so connected that Jesus tells 30 parables and 19 of those 30 parables are about money. Now, don't you find that interesting? 19 are set in an economic context. 19. I mean, and Jesus had no money and he wasn't trying to raise any but he still talked about it. Now, why? Why? That, that bothered me for many, many years. Why does he talk so much about it then? If you go to the doctor and you say to the doctor, doc, you know, I'm just not feeling well. I'm tired all the time, man. I got no energy. And no matter what 
cold comes my way, I always get it. I get everything. Can you help me? Here, what's the doctor going to do? He's going to ask you some questions. He's going to say, well, tell me how you're sleeping. Are you sleeping well? Tell me how you're eating. What are you putting into your body? Tell me about that. Tell me about your eating habits. Are you exercising? Tell me that. Uh, do you have any stress at work? Or is there any stress in your relationships? Now, what if I were to respond to the doctor by saying, hey, that's none of your business. You stay in the physical realm. This other stuff, that's none of your business. You just stay with the physical. What's the doctor gonna say? I can't help you, Jeff, because they're all intertwined and related. And you gotta let me deal with those if you let me deal with the others. The Bible says basically this, unless you are willing, this is important, unless you are willing to put your money and your attitude toward it into my hands, that's God, I cannot bring wholeness into every area of your life. That's why when God comes down to Cain and he says this, Cain, I know you don't feel well and your countenance will be lifted up if you just do the right thing. So that means the alternative is true. If you do the wrong thing, your countenance will not be lifted up. There is, there is something in us that knows down deep inside that we are not living the way God wants us to live when it comes to our stuff and that causes physiological, physical, psychological, emotional trauma. Now, this is such an important issue that you know it's the only place in the Bible where God comes straight out and says to a person, try me, just try me, do it. Do what is right and I'll show you what I can do. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord God Almighty, the Lord of hosts. See, what most of us don't understand is God wants to take you on this wonderful journey, but you gotta jump. And until you jump, you will never know what it is to really truly rely on God that God would be large and in charge. Now, quickly, 10 to God. But you know, the Bible also talks about saving, that you should put 10% of your salary away. The Bible is not against that at all. That's not hoarding, that's just wisdom. Proverbs 21, 20 says, a foolish man devours all he has. And then you've got the 10 of tithing and the 10 of saving, and then the 80% live on the rest. Now, the 80%, even in that, we're supposed to be generous. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. However, the issue is there's an assumption that you really care about reaping a great harvest. If you don't care about reaping a great harvest, you're not gonna sow generously. You see, I think this is the fundamental aspect right here between you and me. Our problem is that we're so selfish that we really don't care if people who are far from God come near to God. We really don't care if Christ's kingdom is expanded here on this earth. Our major concern is that we get more and more and more and more and more, and there'll never be enough. The Bible says those who are really interested in the kingdom of God, those who are fully devoted followers of Jesus will honor God because they want to see his kingdom expanded. If all of this is true, why don't we give? Why? If we all know this, why is it that 50% of the people in megachurches give nothing or from zero to $100 in a year? and that only 13 to 17% in those churches actually come anywhere near a tithe. Why? I wanna tell you why I think that is. I just wanna be honest. Number one, fear. We're afraid that if we give, we won't have enough left over for us. And I want to tell you, jump. That's a faith issue and I can't help you with that. Sooner or later, you've got to decide whether you believe the word of God is true and you've got to determine where your real passion is. Second, we don't because we doubt. Some of us say, well, you know, Pastor Jeff, if we really get down to the nitty gritty, I gotta tell you, I'm not really sure this kingdom of God stuff is real and that there's really a place called heaven and that Christ's kingdom is being expanded on the earth. I mean, I gotta tell you, and what if I give all my money or I give my tithe to God and then I die and I go back into the dirt, then I'll regret giving all that money. Well, I got two things to say to you. Number one, you won't regret it because you won't be alive. You'll be in the dirt, <laughs> but you will regret it. 
when you stand before God and give an account for the way you've lived your life. But again, that's a belief issue. You've got to ask yourself what it is you really believe. Some of you need to go back to that. Do you really believe in the kingdom of God, salvation through the cross? I'm assuming that either you do because you're here or you're either seeking and that's why you're here and maybe you're not at this point yet. But for those of you who call yourselves fully devoted followers of Jesus, this is fundamental stuff. Third, it might be a hard issue. Listen to me. The church of Jesus Christ does not need your money. God can do whatever he wants to do. But he calls you to give it as an external demonstration of what you say you believe internally. The gates of Hades will never prevail against the church. But some of you, when the offering plate comes, you make it an issue between you and the church rather than you and God, and that's where it stops. Every person who is part of the kingdom of God, no matter what church they attend, no matter where they go, the Bible says, honor God, honor God with the first fruits of your life. The fourth reason we don't is greed. Let's, I mean, let, let's be honest. If we believe what the scripture says, that everything comes from God, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and your ability to make an income is because of God. Your ability to breathe is because of God. Your ability to work is because of God. Your expertise is because of God. He gave you special gifts and talents and abilities, some more than others. If that's true, think about it. God says, you keep 90, I'll take 10. And you say no? <laughs> wow, what is that? How, how can you describe that other than greed? Or it might be selfishness, that you're just not interested in doing anything outside of your own self-aggrandizement. That's hard word for all of us to hear. It, it, it is what it is. Now, I can't do the last two, so I'm going to summarize them. The fifth one is, thou shalt help the poor. And the last one is, thou shalt look forward to the final audit. Let me summarize both of them. Thou shalt help the poor. Thou shalt look forward to the final audit. Listen, Pastor Jeff why have you preached this message this weekend? Let me tell you why. When somebody says to me, I don't like churches because all they want is your money, what's my response? Oh, you're wrong. They want a lot more than that. All the church wants is not your money. The reason the church takes offering is because its leaders, if they're people of integrity, should have a passion and a vision that God has given them for their community. And we do have a passion here, a great one. And we know, we know from church history People talk about how bad America is. Oh, America's going to hell in a handbag. It's horrible. Listen, as, as bad as you think America is, it is nowhere near the debauchery of first century Greco-Roman world. The context in which Jesus was born, you got no idea. And yet the church changed the world. And do you know why? Radical generosity. Only the church met both the body and the soul. Oh, it's easy to come with some religion and try to conform the soul but until you've helped the body, they won't care what you believe about the soul. And the church changed the world because they cared and had compassion on people and they had radical generosity. But until you have compassion for the poor, until we have compassion for the poor and really do something logistically wise to help those who need help, I don't believe we can impact this valley. In order to do that, we have to become people whose DNA is generosity. And the best piece of advice I could give you where you're giving is concern is that you are going to die. You cannot take it with you. You can take with you is the assurance that you know I have used my stuff wisely. It's not how much you make, folks. It's what you did with what you did make. 
And the death ratio will never change, one per person. And we all die. And when we stand before God, we want to give an account for the way we used our stuff. True generosity and honouring God with what He has blessed us with. I hope you are inspired to go out and live this way, living these words daily. Thanks for joining me on Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, join me to hear more from the Fully Devoted series. We'll be looking at what we can take away from Luke chapter 14, all about a party Jesus was invited to and the countercultural advice he gave to the Pharisee host. He says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, what? Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 